All right, what's going to start? We'll review a tiny bit, and then we'll move forward. So uh, we started, where are we in the big outline? In the big scheme of things, where are we in our study? Okay, starting at the Bible, yes, that's where we are. Now, taking one step further, where are we? The deity of Christ. And that's under what? The, the person of Christ. So where do you live? The world? <laughs> what part of the world? North America? <laughs> Come on, tell me where you live. Um, yeah, so we're under the person of Christ. And here you have our two, two main sections for this class, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And we've already uh, talked a little bit about how those differ, but also how they relate. And it's really hard to separate them completely, but just for the sake of discussion, we'll separate them. So we're under the person of Christ, and as Joy said, now we're under the first point of the person of Christ, the, the deity, his divinity. And what is, what is his deity? That's what we really uh, started with definitions and things like that last week. What, what's the deity of Christ? Okay, and you weren't even here last week, and you remember the answer. <laughs> no. No, you were out of town last week, I think. Wait, where were you last week? <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, we won't, we won't probe anymore. <laughs> Hanging out with, with R.C. Sproul or something? What's going on? Um, yeah, so here we are in the deity of Christ. Rob explained, it's, it's, he's eternally God. He was God, and he always will be God. He didn't stop being God when he came in the flesh, and um, he always will be God. So we're talking about the deity of Christ. And uh, we started talking about hands last week. Started talking about hands. And if you've, okay, there's two couples in here who have been in FOF with me, at least, and you're probably tired of hearing about hands. But, hey, we're hearing about it again, and I think it's a helpful acronym. But what did we cover last week? We covered the thumb, right? H, yeah. Well, hold on. Two, two votes, holiness and honors. Which one is it? Honors of God. And where, where, where did we get out with that? What was significant about the honors? Yeah, Jesus had the honors of God. And why is that significant uh, from an Old Testament standpoint? Because he was with the ones of only Yahweh. Yeah. And that's basically, we beat that horse all day, a whole time last Sunday, that Worship in the Old Testament belonged only to Yahweh. But that we see a clear testimony in the New Testament that worship belongs to Christ, right? And Jesus or God would not share that with anyone but himself. So that's one part of the picture, but a very clear testimony that Jesus is God, that Jesus shares the honors of God. Uh, so today, uh, there's a, yeah, this is, okay, sorry, this is where we were. We covered the definition, the importance, and started the biblical teaching. And in the future, uh, after Mike's focus group, we'll get on to the Trinitarian implications. Um, we'll finish, I'm sorry, the biblical teaching, then go on to implications for the Trinity, historical um, figures and uh, situations, and then apologetical interaction and some applications. So that's what the future looks like whenever we get back into this class, because this is the last day uh, before the focus group. So we started the biblical teaching, and we'll continue the biblical teaching today for hands. So, honors, and what was next? 
attributes? <laughs> Names? Yeah. And no, this is not uh, my hand, and it's not Zeke's hand. <laughs> Deeds and close. See, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a really helpful way of explaining it from our friend Ed Kamazuski and uh, Robert Bowman. It's their book they wrote with the use this outline. So today, attributes. And we'll, we'll get through this. We might go more quickly through some than others, but this is the point we'll cover today. The attributes. So Jesus shares the attributes of God. Another extremely important point, another piece of this whole um, issue of the deity of Christ. Another clear teaching. Again, we'll, we'll beat the same drum. Here's our watchword in Hebrews 1.3, something that could possibly summarize what we're talking about here. With reference to Jesus, says, and he is what? The radiance of whose glory? His. In the context, who is that? Yeah, you're talking about God. So he's, he's the radiance of God's glory and the, and the what? The approximate, yeah, not the approximate representation of his nature, but the exact representation of his nature. So I guess that could be our watchword there. But I really do want to get uh, today to see uh, what, what his attributes actually are. And I know this is elementary to a lot of you. Um, but again, just like we talked about in FOF, sometimes it's good to have these refreshers just to get it clear in your own mind again, to be able to explain it to someone else who might not understand it. Or maybe it's not clear in their mind, but this is a way for you to explain it to them. Um, so what, what is an attribute? Characteristic. What's characteristic? <laughs> a trait. How do you describe someone? Yeah, that's not one word, but that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. How do you describe? How do you describe something or someone? What's it? What's it about? What's what make, make makes it up? What are they like? That kind of thing. So what is Jesus like? What's an attribute? What's the difference between God between God's communicable? Attributes and his incommunicable attributes. Right. Yeah, so what are examples of his uh, communicable attributes? Things that we can do. Yeah, love. Yeah, forgiveness. Anything else? Sound? Mercy, yeah. Creativity. Creativity, yeah. I think holiness is one. Cause we're, he's holy and he commands us to be holy. We could go on there. And again, we're not going to cover every single one of these, but the point is there's a lot of them. Okay. What about his incommunicable attributes? What are some of those? Omniscience. Wait a minute. We think we're omniscient sometimes, right? Yeah. Resurrection. Yeah, we don't raise ourselves from the dead. Eternal. Eternal, yeah. What's that? We're not eternal. We're not eternal. We definitely had a beginning, didn't we? <laughs> yep. Yeah, some, some, in, some incommunicable attributes. And uh, why is it important to talk about Jesus' attributes when we're talking about his deity? Why is it important to bring up those two subjects together, attributes and deity? 
Yeah, simple as that. Because you can't do a study on Jesus' attributes and get around the fact that he is God. You can't do it when you read the Bible. So what are some, thinking back to your knowledge of Scripture, uh, what are some attributes that are ascribed to Jesus? What are some of the attributes in the Bible that, that talks about with reference to Jesus? Can you think of any at the top of your head? Sinless, Sinless? yep. Born of a virgin, yeah, virgin birth. We'll talk about that um, a little bit down further in the outline, some of these things. Anything else? Maybe think of it this way. Yeah, go, go ahead, Jimmy. You had a question? No, no. Um, Power over nature. Power over nature. So you think that um, in terms of, uh, I didn't do a, a statistical study, but when it comes to God's attributes that are clearly laid out with reference to the Father, you know, maybe things in the Old Testament, um, how you think there's many that are applied to Jesus as well? Maybe just a handful or a lot or a little bit or none? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating the more you study this. Again, we're going to study nine uh, just today. Uh, but you could, you could add to that list. You could keep adding to that list easily. Okay, But for time's sake, we can only do so many. So the thesis of this point is that the attributes, both the incommunicable, or both the communicable, and I'd say especially the incommunicable, okay? They, uh, those attributes ascribed to Jesus prove that he's none other than the eternal God of the universe that the scripture ascribes these attributes to Jesus proves that he's none other than the eternal God of the universe. Does that point make sense? That's what we're trying to show today. That's the main point of what we're saying today and this afternoon. And you can see that the Old Testament clearly establishes the uniqueness of Yahweh. Someone want to read, well, we won't read all of those, but uh, Isaiah 40. Someone want to turn there? Isaiah 40. Someone read verse 18. Another person read verse 25. Answer the question real quick. No one. No one? Okay, keep going. And what likeness will you compare with him? Answer the question. None. None. All right, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? That I would be perceivable. Answer the question. No one. No one, yeah. And who says it? Says the Holy One. Yes, so Yahweh is unique. Stands alone. There's none like you. Jeremiah 10 6 says, O Lord, O Yahweh. You are great, and great is your name and might. So it's clearly laid out in the Old Testament. Scripture clearly establishes that, establishes, okay, that Jesus shares this uniqueness. We're looking at nine of those attributes, okay? So the first, his preexistence and eternality. But what do we mean when we say preexistence and eternality? Besides, they sound really cool. He always was. He existed before what? <laughs> At least, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll do some time travel here in a little bit with the same thing, with the same idea in mind. Yes, so Jesus always has been and he always will be. He's, he's, he has, he's preexistent. He existed before all time and he's eternal. Okay, he always has been and he always will be. Let's travel back in time. Was Jesus around before the New Testament? Simple question, but yes, he was. Uh, let's. How far back was he? Okay, he was. He was before Bethlehem. 
Okay, David said. What about uh, what about even before that? I know David's David's just yeah, being facetious. Okay, Abraham. What about after that? Okay, I'm thinking First Corinthians 10, uh, verse 4. What does that say? The rock. The rock, yeah. And who does Paul identify as the rock? Christ. Right. So when was that? What time period was that? Wilderness wanderings. Wilderness wanderings, yeah. After the Exodus and all that, right? So we at least okay before Bethlehem, before the birth of Bethlehem, and and even during the wilderness wanderings. So we're zooming way back in time, okay? And uh, what about uh, what about John eight fifty eight? Yeah, I can't remember who said it, but yeah, someone said Abraham. Yeah. And what what is who says this and what does he say? John eight fifty eight. Sure. Yeah, this is in a really key verse. No, that one's in the... No. <laughs> well, who was it? Oh, man, who was it? Uh, Bill Hogan. He's a, He was an interim pastor at our old church, and now he's an elder at Fellowship. He had everyone turn. He said, he turned to First Hezekiah, and he had half the church turning to it. No lie. But anyway, go ahead, Rob. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah, so I think there's at least two implications here. One you've already mentioned. What's what's the first thing that stands out here? Before before Abraham. So now we're now we're before the wilderness wanderings, aren't we? What's yeah, yeah they were. Yeah, he was very clear, wasn't he? This wasn't like, oh, what are we saying here? And what what really was the kicker? Not that just he existed before Abraham, but what else? What's the second implication of this verse? I am, yeah, claiming to be Yahweh. And that's, they were certainly upset about this. They were, uh, yeah, it was very clear what Jesus was saying here. We're going to cover some objections to this verse uh, down in the outline later um, in the coming weeks, some interesting things about this verse. But, yeah, so he was before Abraham. Hey, boy, share the book. Um, okay, what about at creation? What about uh, John? One three. You reading the CPSB still? Cell phone standard version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I I confess I've been using this a lot too. Kindle with with uh, Logos on it. Um, so he was at creation, okay, because everything came into being through him. So that begs the question. Okay, he was there. Everything came into being through him. But does that mean he's still God? We're, we're going pretty far back, aren't we? But do, do Jehovah's Witnesses, would they put him real far back? How far? Or, or talking about maybe Colts in general who would... Hey, share the book. You need to share. Um, how far back? Uh, maybe it's the Mormons. They put him pretty far back. The Mormons say he's the firstborn spirit child of Elohim, the Father. Yeah. And but do they hold to his deity? Not in a biblical sense. Not yeah, yeah, not in a biblical sense. Yeah, not not no co-equal. Yeah, not co-equal with with the one true God. So they have him really far back. So does that mean? Okay, so the question we ask is, can a creature be a creator? Do they believe that he is a God with power to create? 
I, I think I've heard statements like that, yeah. I think they would say that he was like the firstborn spirit child and then along with the father created. So that's how they can say that nothing came into being without him, is that he was with the father at creation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as the creator, could he still be a creature? Theoretically. So let's answer theoretically. Could he be? Could he create the whole world as a creature? Even theoretically, I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> But what about actually, biblically? What's the answer? Mm-mm. Now, we can be inventive, can't we? I think even Rob said creativity, because God is a creative God, right? And he's passed that along to us, I believe. We can be creative, right? We can, we can invent things. So where does that leave us? Or where does that leave Christ here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, basically the ascriptions uh, to Christ as the creator are so strong that no mere, no, no small deity could handle it. No mere creature could handle it. This is true power to create the universe and everything in it. This is, this is huge. So I'd say no to that question. Could it, can the creature be the creator? No. Okay, he's at creation. What about before that? Still doing some time travel. Yeah, in the beginning. So John 1, 1 through 3. We already read verse 3, but what about uh, verses uh, 1 and 2? Yeah, so how far back does that go? All the way. I'd say all the way, easily. And Philippians 2.6, who, although he existed in the form of God, and again, I think that's a parallel, and it's not the same word, but it's a parallel with our Hebrews passage where he's, you know, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation. I think when he's talking about form, he's, even though God is invisible, but it's talking about that image, okay, as much as we can talk about an image. It's not talking about just nature here, but in the form of God. And uh, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And we'll talk about this passage later on. But then he took on the form of a, of a, of a slave, an appearance as a man. So he, he is in the beginning, before time began, before creation. So he's way back. So what about some more time travel? Will Jesus be around in the future? He was around in eternity past. What, will he be around in the future? Old Testament makes a claim. Isaiah 44, verse 6, say, well, this isn't Jesus. But what does Isaiah 44, verse 6 say? Sounds like uh, maybe there could be two first and last people, two first and last gods. Uh, New Testament claim. What about Revelation? What's Revelation teach about? The same thing. Uses the alphabet. What's that? Yeah, well, the only he's gonna so he's gonna be there, right? So that, yeah. So that's another proof that it's, he's gonna be in the future. What descriptions does Revelation give? So it, it talks about events, like Steve said, events where he's predicted to be there. Yes. And then what about some uh, descriptions? What does one uh, eight say? Now, 
sounds a lot like Isaiah, doesn't it? Perhaps not a uh, direct word-for-word quote, but the gist is right there. And then what about 22, verse 13? Still looking like Isaiah, right? So again, these are strong claims, clear claims from the Bible about who Christ is, that he did exist in eternity past, and that he will always be in eternity future. What was Arius' idea? Arius, the Arians. We'll talk about the Arian controversy a little bit um, down the road, but what was his view? Yeah. Right. So that, that's the famous statement from them. There was a time when he was not. There was a time when he did not exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And probably some other people I don't know about, but yeah. Yeah. I think the clearest one is Paul Enns from Idlewild. Um, the eterna- eternality and deity of Christ, the eternality and the deity of Christ, that he's eternal and that he is God, those ideas are inseparably linked together. Those who deny his eternality also deny what? You can't deny his eternality and still say that he's God. If the deity of Christ is established, okay, so if we believe that, there's not going to be any problem in accepting his eternality. Does that make sense? The seals go hand in hand. Again, this is not complicated stuff, but it's quite, it's quite clear. So what about another uh, attribute? I'd say omnipotence. Someone already said it as well. And this is, I don't know how you distinguish this from his sovereignty. Um, I did in the notes, but it's really closely related to his sovereignty. But definition is that Jesus has infinite power and authority. Jesus has infinite power and infinite authority. Uh, We won't look at all these verses, but what did he do in Matthew 8? Matthew 8, 26. Yeah, and then what does verse 27 say? The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And we can answer the question now, what kind of man is this? The God man, right? Yeah, that even the winds and sea obey him. Because they aren't obeying anybody else. Um, He can multiply the loaves and the fish. I don't see any people doing that, right? Yeah, the elements, yep. Yeah. Yeah, you see God's power started like that already in the Old Testament. Um, my dad mentioned last Sunday night when, uh, for Elijah. Who fed who fed Elijah first when, during the drought? The ravens. And who, who sent the ravens? It was in that context that God sent the ravens. Who sent the fish to swallow up Jonah? What is the word it says in Jonah? It says several times. What's the actual word? Anyone remember? It's actually a strong word. God appointed a fish, yeah. appointed a great fish. Yeah. 
to go get to go swallow Jonah. So it was like it was like he was on a mission. It was like his reconnaissance mission. It's like, okay, you know, you're our asset. You're going out there. You're doing the job. And the fish said, okay, I'm on it. Um, so yeah, that's God's power, and Jesus shares His power in the New Testament. Yeah, it's great stuff. And changing water into wine. Some I, I know there's scholars say you know Jesus kind of backed up to the uh, to the wine barrels or whatever and dropped some tablets in it or something and walked away. <laughs> it's like come on, you know, you got to be kidding me. But he changed the water into wine. He had power over sickness and disease. You see that all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Power over the demons, to cast out demons. Power over death. Power to forgive sins. That's a huge one. They're, these are all huge, but what is, what's the question asked in, in Mark, in Mark 2? Verse 7, what's the question asked there? Or what are the questions? Why does this man speak this way? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yeah, so what the question is, who, who, uh, why does this man speak that way? So in other words, they're questioning what he's saying. Why are they questioning what he's saying? Because he's blaspheming. What's blasphemy? Yeah, speaking against God or... Yeah, and that's that's what they considered yeah. Jesus to be doing here. Saying he's blaspheming. He's saying, "Hey, and wh- how do they? How, what's the next question? Who can forgive sins but God alone?" So it was clear in their minds, based, based on their knowledge of Scripture, even that, "Hey, no one forgives sins but God alone. Only God's doing this." And here's someone on earth claiming to be able to forgive sins. And then uh, verse uh, ten. What does Jesus say? My Bible is written in red, so it's clear that Jesus said it. <laughs> um, what does that verse say? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, and with him he said to the Pharaoh, whatever. Yeah, sure, I, you can finish the quote there. Uh, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Yeah, so did he... Uh, did Jesus uh, agree with their with their question? Say, oh yeah, you're right. I'm blessing. I better back down. I better change with my my disposition or change what I'm doing here. He kept on right right on going what he was doing. He, you know, it's true that only God can forgive sins, and he says, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. You're right. But in his case, it wasn't blasphemy. So, do these verses prove that Jesus was omnipotent? What could someone object to this? These verses absolutely prove that Jesus was omnipotent. He had infinite power. He had infinite authority. (laughs) You're not supposed to read the statement yet. (laughs) I'm kidding. That's what it's there for. Yeah, this is from Grudem because he brought this up. Yeah, there's always going to be someone to come up with something to try to disprove it. But Grudem said some might object to these miracles that they, like you said, just showed the power of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. 
just as the, power, the Holy Spirit could work through any of us. Um, and therefore, did not demonstrate that Jesus was God. So that's the objection. Uh, but he also goes on to say in response that the contextual explanation of these verses often uh, point not to what they demonstrate about the Holy Spirit, and this is a very important point. Um, yeah, what they demonstrate about Jesus himself. So again, these passages aren't talking about the Holy Spirit. They're talking about Jesus' own power. And uh, John 2.11, it says this beginning of his signs, this is at, you know, starting of his miracles, um, the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in, in him. So again, this is talking about Jesus himself, okay? And then Matthew eight twenty seven, the men were amazed. Um, the men were amazed and said, uh, "What read this? But what kind of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him?" And as we said, uh, the Old Testament teaches that God is the one. And this is the Old Testament quote, and I left out the reference. Sorry, but who stills the roaring of the seas? God stills the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the peoples. So again, this is reference a clear parallel to Jesus of his own authority. So he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And we can, we can accept that by faith, and we can trust in that, that Jesus is omnipotent. And by way of application, have a sense of relief because we are what? We're not omnipotent. And I say that's relieving because, just like Mike said this morning, that's why I thought it was a good message. Probably the only person who preached on Proverbs 3 today. But that's what we needed as a reminder to trust in the Lord because he's omnipotent. And we're not. And that's really encouraging to me because I know he, is, he has it under control. So, omnipotent. What about omniscience? This is one of the tougher ones with reference to Jesus. But what does omniscience mean? Knows all. Yeah, knows all things. And you all know the Latin behind these? I'm not a Latin scholar, but do you all know the Latin behind these words? Anyone can say? Right. Yeah, and omni is yeah, the you know, encompassing all. Yeah, so all knowledge, knowing all things. Uh, Jesus knows everything. Some New Testament samples. Gospel of Mark. Let's flip through these quickly. Um, Mark two eight. What does that say? I have a feeling we won't get past this one. So, was Jesus making good guesses here? He was a people person. He just kind of knew what was going on with people. Knew their personalities. Say a little, a little deeper than that. Gospel of Mark, seems pretty clear. But Gospel of John, 148. What does that say? They spying on him? Is that what that is? Hmm, no answer. <laughs> so was he spying on Nathaniel? <laughs> yeah, that's important. I'm glad you brought that up. Nathaniel's reaction, like, hey, 
was kind of, he didn't say spooky, but yeah, it was, there was something deeper than that than just thinking, you know, I saw you from a distance or whatever. I think Jesus knew what was going on. And then John 2, 24 to 25. Yeah, so someone maybe objected to that. Well, he just knew human nature. But again, something deeper than that going on than just knowing human nature. And with the omniscience of Jesus, you, got, you probably are already having questions come in your head. Because again, this is one of the difficult ones. We will discuss this in more detail later on in the outline under the objections to the deity of Christ. And we'll bring them up briefly, but uh, we won't be able to answer all the questions right now. But we will at least get the wheels turning. Yeah. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't add that one. Yeah. Yeah, those that's those are two great points. Two I don't even have. That's that's again if you're in class, right? Just write those kind of things. And those are those are two great examples. Yeah. Where he knew exactly where those things were. That's awesome. And then John six sixty four. getting more detailed as you progress through John, isn't it? Yeah, he knew from the beginning who did not believe. He knew from the beginning who the traitor was. And then John 12, John 21, verse 17. It's even more explicit. Yeah, Peter, he seems to be an emotional guy. He comes across that way. Maybe can't definitely prove it, but whenever you get emotional, like with your spouse, you say, you know everything. You're, you, you just know everything, don't you? Is that what Peter was saying here? He's upset with Jesus? I, I don't think so. <laughs> no one's ever said that to your spouse, right? Good. Yeah, he said, you know all things. You know that I love you. So again, he's appealing. Peter was appealing to Jesus. Yeah, I, I know you know all things. I know that you know, that I know that you know. Um, <laughs> Clear, clear uh, reference there. And then Paul, here's an interesting verse you might not think about with reference to omniscience, but Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 2. Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. In Christ, or in whom? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So again, a really clear reference there that in Christ, he's like a, a treasure house of all wisdom and all knowledge, all there in Christ. And again, we'll just briefly touch on this primary objection to this, and then I want you all to be thinking about this. If, I know you've probably thought about it already, but be considering it more heavily um, over the next however long, uh, so we can get a biblical solution to this um, instead of just um, maybe a quick answer or just forgetting about it, sleeping under the rug. Um, but what about the passages that talk about things that Jesus does not know? 
Are there any passages that say no and not in Jesus? <laughs> All in the same sentence. Are there any? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a parallel passage. Uh, it's Matthew, Matthew 24, and then Mark 13. It uses that. Um, so just quickly looking at a couple options uh, when you see those kind of things. And again, this can be under the apologetic interaction later on. Um, but here's some options. Tell me, if you, tell me what you like so far. The Bible has good intentions, but it's hopelessly contradictory. Like that option? It means well, but it, it just can't keep things straight. You like that one? That's what the unbelieving community would do, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's what any unbeliever, you know, maybe not Jehovah's Witness or something like that, but any unbeliever on the street, that's basically their view of the Bible. So, yeah, I know it tries good. It gives some good ethics, but couldn't keep its, its teaching together. Couldn't keep its teaching straight. They just couldn't figure it all out. All those people there. Yeah, that all scripture is inspired. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously none of us in the room, I pray that we would go with that with that option. I pray we would not. Um, maybe uh, those two verses don't belong in the Bible. Like that option? <laughs> Jesus' original disciples, they fooled themselves into thinking that Jesus was God, and they forgot to take those two statements out of the Bible before it hit the printing press. That happened? Like those options? <laughs> so what do, you th- what do you think is a good... Working solution at this point. Anyone thought about this particular point? I've thought about it, but I've you know I've always wanted to study it more. That's where I've been on it. Anyone have a suggestion? It's something as you just said that you've got to study. Okay, mm-hmm. scripture does not contradict scripture. Right. So you have to look to see there's got to be another option. Right. Yeah, we're, we're saying, okay, we said Jesus is omniscient, and it, all those passages we read and the ones Steve brought up are quite clear about it, aren't they? But then we get to a passage that says, uh, Jesus, where Jesus himself says, uh, no one knows the hour except the Father, not even the Son of Man. Okay, yeah, you might be onto something there. Yeah, yeah. I'll say two things before we go on to the next one. The first thing is mystery. The the Godhead, the Trinity is a mystery. The way it all works out, the way we understand it. All. I would say it's a mystery. First and foremost, a mystery, and we 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 trust and obey first. Okay, and then when it comes to the union of Christ's two natures, that's another mystery we're dealing with. How he's fully God and how he's fully man. So with that second point of of uh, the union of Christ, his two natures. Uh, being a mystery, I would say that he did grow in wisdom and stature and a favor with God and man. So those things he did do while he was on the earth. Mm-hmm. So that's something to chew on as you think about this issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think Philippians 2 could easily tie in this. Or is he have to take Philippians 2 into account where he exists in the form of God, um, and, but then he came and took on the form of man? Um, 
Now that that passage, as we said before, does focus on not so much everything that he stopped doing, but what he started doing. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I think we what we put some of high intention stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aside, yeah. Know, like all my deity gone. Right. Oh no! How do I get it back? Then yeah. Just become a human. In other words, got rid of my deity, become human. But mm-hmm. I somehow through that mysterious operation. Yeah. It works together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. I think of uh, Mark. Uh, well, Matthew twenty-four, forty-six. Did I have them in your notes? Thirty-six. I'm sorry. Thirty-six. Yeah. And I'm. Yeah, end times. All of it discourse. Yeah. The disciples are always curious about the end of time, too. Bring it up again in Acts 1. Hey, you know, is this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? You know, is it going to happen now? Well, now, for you to know times and epics. Right. I think, yeah. I think referring to him not knowing something. Yeah. Yeah. So the context is, yeah, the eschatology, Jesus teaching on the future, that's the context. But then there's a theological implication here that some take and say, yeah, this means he wasn't God because he said right. he didn't know. Right. So. Even in this verse, uh, it refers to the Father alone. It doesn't say God alone or something like that. There's still Trinitarian theology within the verse of right. the Son and Father in, in, in communion. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard this verse in conjunction with some Mormon missionaries and mm-hmm. things, too. And I think they're just picking at straws for yeah. stuff with the weight of everything else. Yeah, and there's definitely a parallel. Um, this is when Jesus was on earth, but also after, uh, right before the ascension, he tells the disciples, <clears throat> the verse we just mentioned, Acts 1, 6 through 8, um, says, the disciples say, you know, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel now? Are you going to do it now? Jesus said, hey, it's not for you to know times and epics. And then what did he say after that? Which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So again, same, same idea there, where the Father has fixed it. Um, yeah, so don't get me wrong. I do believe the scripture is completely consistent, non-contradictory. Um, I completely trust in the scriptures, and I'm not undermining scriptures here. I just want us to think about this. Right. When people ask you about it, you'll have thought through it. Well, yeah, and not just thought of a quick answer. You know, yeah. But as a believer, your base has got to be that the scripture is true, 100%, mm-hmm. fully true. Yeah. So when we encounter one of those scriptures that may appear to be on the surface, we know it's not. Right. Because we know the scripture is true. You know? Right. And, so, and then that's, the, that's the, the, the ultimate answer on it, yeah. We do take it by faith. But yeah, it's worth it's worth thinking through. Joey and then Nate and then uh, Joy. So uh, I had a conversation with somebody once. Um, when Jesus was a child, did he have to learn to walk and learn to talk like all children do? And if so, did he go to school? I, in a sense, you know, I understood that. But I said, he's never gotten asked question yet. Is there ever been asked question? He said, no, as a child. So what, oh, well, was he the child he knew everything like? And all the other people are like, he's still just like a kid now. He's sitting right down and all this stuff. Like,
you know, going to give them out as a as an addition, or you want it to not only appear as a name, but be took on as a name and be able to write them in your own mm -hmm. uh, format as a name. So I mean, it's just it's you know, but I think there's obviously uh, they can't look at this and point it as one thing that this proves it's yours. Right. It's one aspect. Yeah. Yeah, again, I'm not trying to shake you up. You know what I'm trying to do, right? But the you understand what I'm saying? Say that, you know, it's mm -hmm. typical that a skeptic would say that because yeah. they don't want to read scripture anyway. Yeah. You know, so based on what Joey's saying, he was in it. What happened, at least in the spirit, it had to do with his humanity, you know, in that respect. But the skeptic don't want to believe that anyway. Mm -hmm. So the skeptic is looking for verses to, to, to say that there's no way he could have been God. See, he didn't know everything. Yeah. That's where the skeptic comes from. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say I've, I've thought on this point uh, a lot and a uh, scripture that comes to mind that kind of as a key points out of this but John 14 10 um, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative but the Father abiding in me does mm -hmm. the yeah so, that's your reference yeah. right so like just like what you were saying he's, he's telling them what he needs to tell them you know for the time being yeah. so to speak but then also the second point, if the Father's in him, and no one knows the day or hour but the Father, um, so then does he really know the day and hour? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't know if you saw that. I told you. I told you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think there's an aspect of fear that we should have about skeptics who are picking out a verse out of the context and saying, see, Jesus didn't know everything. Yeah. Well, Jesus is going to come when the Father has appointed him to come. There is that. So I think there's an aspect of the context that yeah. the skeptic is missing. Right. I think that's an important thing for there not be noise when we think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, skeptics are always... Skeptics are almost always very selective in what they present to you. Because they're not reading the whole Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? The thing about skeptics, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, well, I shouldn't say don't, they don't, probably some do, but I think overall, you know, when you're looking to, uh, to say something wrong, I think you're searching for uh, nuggets, if you will. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's why it's wrong. But if you read it in context and then you get a clear understanding, then you start thinking, well, maybe that is right. Mm -hmm. But a skeptic don't want to do that, though, because objectively, the Bible is wrong. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, they have an agenda big time. Where they're, they're, they're completely overlooking the agenda of the Bible, or, you know, with the, the whole context of the Bible. <coughs> David? Oh, it's, I, I know you want to move on from this point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I like the word authority too. You know, like what is your authority? Yeah. Most people, it's themselves. <laughs> and for us, it's the word of God. On, on passages, the passage that we're talking about right now, mm -hmm. the other one that comes to mind, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but when the sons of thunder sent the yeah. bomb to Jesus, 
something yeah. like that. I wonder if that's one that's kind of yeah. pointed out. I think, I think uh, this, a lot of this has to do with his subordination. And 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 his and and uh, his emptying himself in terms of taking everything he did, taking on the form of man, um, becoming like a slave, um, becoming you know like a man, and then below a man. Really, I think it has to do with his subordination to the father. I think a, a lot of it boils a lot of it boils down to this, to subordination. Yeah, I think uh, something I thought of too is all of it discourse, you know, before pre-crucifixion. <clears throat> He's telling them what's necessary for the disciples to know. And same thing in Acts, after, after his crucifixion, before he goes back to heaven. He's still telling the disciples what they need to know for them to carry on their mission. So I think it's another facet of it. Yeah, they would have sat around and done nothing. Yeah, yeah just like I would have. Man, the next several generations, they can take care of this. That's yeah. We, we're looking for any day. Maranatha, yeah, I guess. No, yeah. Hmm. What, is what is the <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, let's move on for now. Something to think about, though. Something definitely to consider. Again, I, I was reluctant to bring it up. I knew I had to because I knew someone else was going to do it before I did. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, I really do want to treat this in more detail later on in the outline under the objections. Omnipresence. Omnipresence. What does omnipresence mean? He's everywhere. You all already studied the attributes of God in theology proper, and you've probably studied Psalm 139, and where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence if I go um, to the tips of the, uh, of, the, of the morning or the tips of the dawn, the wings? the dawn, you're going to be there. No matter where I go, heart of the sea, you're going to be there. Omnipresence. Does Jesus share this? <laughs> Another difficult one because we're talking about the God-man, the God incarnate. Can he be omnipresent? Um, so we think all these might work, but omnipresence because he's in a body. But let's look at some uh, references. Does the Bible ever say that Jesus is omnipresent? And Gruden puts, this, puts it this way, the divine attribute of omnipresence is not directly affirmed to be true of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Sorry, misprint. <laughs> ministry. However, while looking forward to the time that the church would be established, Jesus could say these things. What could Jesus say? Matthew 18, verse 20. The, everyone's favorite verse. But it's a good verse, but people have stolen it. Uh, where two or three are gathered, have gathered together my name. Where is Jesus? Yeah. So, could that be a reference to omnipresence? <laughs> so, we need to start doing two or three groups of, you know, a prayer group. Joey's all for it. I know he is. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then what did Jesus, what was the one of the last things Jesus told his disciples before going back to heaven? What was the encouraging? Low on with you always. That's why people say they're they're wanting to get in planes because Jesus with us low, not high. 
Behold, behold, I'm with you always. Look, pay attention. That's what the word low means. Check it out. I'm with you always, even to the end of the, of the age. So, is Jesus, was Jesus' body omnipresent? No, okay. But can we speak of Jesus as omnipresent? Yes. Yep. And also, you can compare Matthew 8, uh, 13, where Jesus said to the centurion, the one he wanted uh, to heal, um, he said, go, it shall be done for you as you believe. And the servant was healed that very moment. So Jesus didn't have to even go there. He said, hey, look, I can work where I'm at. I can work on the go here. He's already healed. Just go and you'll find him, you'll find him better. So that's a really interesting implication, isn't it? Concerning omnipresence. Yeah. Is it omnipresence, though, or is it I'd say both, <laughs> yeah. And again, that's why you can't divide up all these perfectly. But yeah, you have to be, he could be everywhere, but not accomplishing everything that he wanted to accomplish. But yeah, he's both omnipresent and omnipotent. Definitely. That's a good question. Hey, David raised his hand. No. Yeah, okay. Based on scripture, is that a possibility? Without question, yes. Would I believe it, if that's what it means? Yes. The only question is, the Gospels use that word, especially Mark, immediately, 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 to transfer scenes to, for the reader. Like, hey, we're going to switch a new scene, new scene, new scene, immediately. So, I'd like to study that more before I answer that exactly. So, has anyone thought about that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Just thought, you know, if it does say immediately, and I'm wondering my mind, Yeah. Yeah, I've heard people preach it that way as a miracle. And was I, you know, upset in my seat? I wasn't upset because he could have done that if he wanted to. I'm just not positive that that passage itself is a miracle passage or not. But that's a good question. I hate to leave you with more questions than answers in these classes, but immutability, besides being another awesome word, what does it mean? Unchanging. God never changes. It's always the same. But what about Jesus? Jesus never changes. He's always the same. And where do we get that from the Bible? Make it up, right? No. Where, where says that? Or where does it say that? How'd you know that? Okay. Okay. It's in the notes. Yeah. <laughs> what does that say? One of my favorite verses. Okay. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's a comforting passage there in Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews. And we all take, you take courage from that. It's hard to uh, worship or trust a God who's always changing, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to follow your boss at work if he's always changing his mind, right? <laughs> is that a question or a resonation? Yeah. 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 Yeah, again, we're trying to, as we think of these things, we're trying to apply them, not just try to understand them, get the definitions, solve all the problems, rebuke everyone who disagrees. We want to apply these, okay? And this is one that's huge. Jesus is always the same. We can trust him. 
What about impeccability? What does impeccability mean? Here, multiple choice, and I hope you get the answer correct. Okay, does it mean A, you never show up late to work? Impeccable timing. Okay, does it mean that, A? Does it mean you're an iron-feathered chicken, can't be pecked by other chickens? Yeah, no one's answering this question, so I'm, I'm concerned what you guys are actually thinking. Um, it means you have a place at the top of the pecking order. You can't be pecked that way. Or uh, an inability to sin, or perfect or sinless. We're going with letter, letter D. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> yeah, impeccability, a big word to describe something that we can uh, understand here. Jesus was perfect and sinless. Um, let's go for four more minutes. So, the question whenever you consider this is, could Jesus' temptations have been real if he couldn't sin? An important question to, to, to answer, to ask and answer. So, short answer is, yes, his temptations could be real, even though he wasn't able to sin or he could not sin. Okay, we answer that with these two statements. The Bible <laughs> clearly teaches that Jesus never did sin, okay? And what verse comes to your mind, even before looking at the notes? <laughs> when you call it up Brad and you, you, get a, you leave a message on his cell phone, what does it say? Or what does he say? So it's apparent that he never answered his phone. He didn't memorize. Um, sorry. <laughs> Yes, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it's a clear teaching. You go to many places, spotless lamb, lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He's sinless. And the Bible does clearly teach that he was tempted. A clear teaching that he actually was tempted. Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, what does that say? Anyone have that one memorized? Yeah, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. How can we hold fast our confession? Because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has done what? He's been tempted in all things, as we are, and we're tempted in all kinds of areas. He was tempted in all kinds of areas. We're tempted in those areas. What do we do? Blow it, right, and sin. But he was tempted in all things, but he did it without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you have actual temptations by Satan in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, and you know those. So we close with a statement that only those who do not succumb to temptation experience the full weight of that temptation. When you cave in to a temptation to sin, are you really experiencing the full weight? You're stopping short, aren't you, of the full weight of that. You're giving up. Pressure, pressure, pressure. 10 pounds, you know, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. Okay, I give up, I give up. But if you succumb, if you do not succumb to it, you don't give in, you're feeling the full weight to the very end, aren't you? So I would say that Jesus experienced temptation in a greater way than we do because of that. So not only can we just question, say, Hey, could his temptations be real? I'd say they were greater than our temptations.